Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is Saturday, May 8th, market hovering around all-time highs. However, you wouldn't know it based on the last week of trading. NASDAQ actually sold off this week, um, down about 153 bips, whereas the S&P was actually up 67 bips, right around all-time highs. So we'll get into all that, but first, let's talk about what this podcast is about. Um, just want to get into kind of general market strategy and how movie theaters are a good example of um, names I'm trading, where I'm trying to make a bet on where I think the market is going as opposed to where it's been. And I think there are a lot of analogs that can be drawn here to poker, which is a sport I'm really into, and I just want to take a second to talk about that. If you've never played poker, never fear. I'll try to explain this as best I can. But also, if you're more interested in this topic, two authors who can explain the many lessons of poker much better than I can are Marina Konnikova, who wrote the book The Biggest Bluff, which is about a several-year experiment where she became a professional poker player, having never played poker before. Um, previously, she had done a lot of research in psychology and you know, is an award-winning author and has done a ton of stuff. I learned so much from that book, so I'll put that in the show notes. I also recommend Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who is a professional poker player, has been to the final table of World Series of Poker, and also has won the World Series of Poker Championship several times. Um, so that is a fantastic book. Anyways, though, what does poker have to do with what's happening in the market right now? So I'm used to playing poker tournaments that the small blind and big blind, which are basically periodically the amount of money you have to bet to play a hand, um, increase pretty rapidly every 15 minutes. And you can change that, but the general principle is um, staying in the tournament requires you to bet more and more money as time goes on. So if you're at the end of a tournament, players who have a lot of money can easily stay in hands, they can bet more. And players who don't have a lot of money either have to bet all their money um, or when the going gets tough, they have to fold. So you just have more optionality um, if you accumulate more chips and get late in the tournament. So to me, a strategy that has worked extremely well um, is in the beginning of tournaments being aggressive. And the reason people don't want to be aggressive in tournaments is they don't want to get uh, they don't want to lose chips. Um, they don't consider the beginning of the tournament perhaps as important as the end of the tournament. But if you're playing the long game, you know, you'll realize that there is expected value to taking a, a small probability um, of somebody calling you or, or losing um, in exchange for being in a, a better position later on. And it, it all depends on how much risk you want to take. But again, I, I assign greater value to accumulating chips earlier in the tournament than just staying in, period. Um, if you're not in it to win it, uh, to me, there's, there's no point playing for the big money. Just to call out an example here, in the beginning of a tournament, when everybody has the same chips, if I bet big, I think people are far less likely to pursue or to call at this stage because they want to stay in the tournament, they want to conserve chips. 
compare this to the end of the tournament when people might not have as many chips, they're forced callers in a lot of those situations because the blinds are getting bigger. They only have so many hands to play, so they have to make a move. Uh, as an example, say you're a short stack, you have 100 chips, the big blind, small blind is 25.50. You only have two more big blinds left, so you are forced to go all in or you're just gonna be, um, your stack is just gonna get exhausted by the blinds. So I think this is pretty similar to market cycles where the beginning of the tournament is early in the cycle and the end of the tournament is late in the cycle. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be cycles. It can more be sector rotations or really anywhere money is flowing. When I say flowing, I mean out of one thing and into another thing. So hindsight's 2020, and obviously I'm trying to push a narrative onto something that already happens. But as an example of this, I think last year right around this time, so May of 2020, we had a lot of tech companies report, a lot of growth stocks report, and they reported surprisingly good numbers um, during a time where people were really scared about the pandemic. So if you remember this time last year, uh, all of Fang posted amazing earnings, actually pretty similar to this year, but I think expectations were higher this year. Um, but what happened was a lot of money came off the sidelines, so flowing out of cash and into growth stocks. Um, and it wasn't just Fang, you know, I think there were any number of kind of smaller mid-cap tech stocks that were doing extremely well as, you know, we got this whole narrative on the digitization of everything, um, everything going to the cloud. So companies posted these, these big quarterly earnings and money came off the sidelines into those stocks. Fast forward to this year where earnings for tech and growth names were once again fantastic. However, the stock price movement wasn't necessarily the same. A really good example to, of this to me is ServiceNow, which I thought posted uh, a really good print. The problem was expectations were already extremely high. There were some questions on whether guidance was as good as people expected. But again, if expectations are high and things don't play out to expectations, the stock often sells off. So ServiceNow um, has had a, a fairly large drawdown on what I think isn't really a change in the overall thesis. But again, that's what happens when the expectations are high. Um, compare this to some banking and energy names, um, which have done really well because they're lapping comps that are super easy. You know, These companies have much worse 2020 than tech did. Um, but again, the market is, is up overall right now um, because banking, industrial, cyclicals are all doing extremely well. Um, as one example, Berkshire Hathaway, which to me is kind of a play on some of those names, um, outperformed the S&P this week. Back to poker, where is it easy to make bets where people have no desire to call? Well, in 2020, it was pretty easy to buy banks and industrials at discounted prices. And, and again, we talked about this on the podcast, so you can go and listen to some of the podcasts with the impervious um, or diligent dollar, I think are two decent examples. Um, but during that time, we're talking about how banks were trading at significant discounts to book. At that time, nobody was interested because everybody was afraid of the pandemic um, and looked at uh, tech stocks as something that was doing well during it. Um, banks, there were some lingering concerns. So at that time, nobody was putting money in. Um, just like early in poker tournaments, nobody wanted to be aggressive because nobody wanted to get ousted. To complete the analogy, very similar in markets to when there are a ton of sellers and very few buyers. Um, so you could say last year on banks, on industrials, on cyclicals, there were very few buyers and a ton of sellers. It's actually flipping the opposite way now. Now there are a lot of buyers and very few sellers. Again, similar to the end of a poker tournament where because people um, have not that many chips, are in a position where they need to do well to make their chip stack go up, um, they are forced callers, they are forced buyers. 
so to boil this down, I really think it's essentially the Wayne Gretzky quote that is skate where the puck is going, not where it's been. Uh, for those of you who like the office, uh, Michael Scott often quotes this and then, you know, says Wayne Gretzky, but attributed uh, that quote to Michael Scott. Very funny. Anyways, what's the next sector that might look like this? Um, so where is the puck going right now? Listeners of this podcast won't be surprised to hear that I think it's movie theaters. So this is a sector that really hasn't, uh, depending on the name, participated in the back to work, um, the pandemic is ending rally. So granted, AMC has done extremely well in part because it's thrown in that meme stock category and did well when the Redditors pumped it up. But if you look at names um, like Cinemark or National Cinemedia, they're still trading well below 2019 levels. The results are not very good. I mean, Cinemark just reported they're still at about 20% of 2019 revenue. Um, National Cinemedia has barely done any revenue. Um, so right now, results don't look very good. Also, it, it, you know, if you were to listen to the Bears, um, premium video on demand uh, is, is picking up. Netflix and the streamers are, um, are in an arms race, so that sector is becoming larger and more powerful. And the box office is in secular decline, according to the Bears. Um, none of this is actually true or relevant, depending on how you spin it. Um, I recommend everybody take a look at my posts on movie theaters for more information on it. But the the TLDR here um, is movies have completely different unit economics than streaming. Um, There's lots of reasons that a movie uh, is better for a tentpole or blockbuster film um, than streaming or premium video on demand might be. Um, Also, there's no proof that the box office is in secular decline. Box office receipts actually have done uh, better over the last couple of years. Um, it, they've shown significant pricing power, so ticket prices keep going up. And you know, if even if less people are going to movies, if ticket prices are going up faster, um, ultimately the revenue will be larger. Um, finally, during the pandemic, there's been no proof that people uh, don't want to go to movie theaters if they can. So Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, Crudes, Wonder Woman 1984 have all done really well. Uh, domestically, internationally, we've set records in China and Japan. Um, Demon Slayer is the best movie Japan has ever released that was released directly during the pandemic. Uh, as an aside, that movie also did pretty well in the United States on limited theater capacity. So that's a bit where they've been in terms of where they're going and where I think the puck is going. The second half of 2021, I I think, might post 2019-like numbers for movie theaters. Why do I think that? So Cinemark and IMAX both reported this week. I'm going to focus in on some comments that Mark Zerardi made, who is the CEO of Cinemark and also is on the board of National Cinemedia. By the way, National Cinemedia reports next week. But Zerardi uh, had some pretty telling comments Um, that make me really excited about the second half of this year and also make me think that uh, movie theaters are positioned where there's not a whole lot of money in these names now and money certainly could come off the sidelines when people realize, hey, uh, these companies are going to produce free cash flow uh, maybe in the second half of this year and certainly in 2022 that's comparable to 2019 Uh, the streaming thesis is overstated theaters aren't in secular decline Uh, these names represent excellent value Um, so i think that's where the puck will go but i want to get there before the puck is there Um, so again let's hone in on some of these comments so here's mark talking about uh, the second half of 2021 and this is from the first quarter earnings call i believe that was released uh, friday 
So he says, we're highly encouraged and optimistic about the significant pros- progress Cinemark and the industry are making. And that optimism is amplified by the film lineup that lies ahead in the coming weeks. The rest of the second quarter will continue to get things fired up with titles such as A Quiet Place 2, Cruella, Black Widow, In the Heights, Peter Rabbit, and Fast and the Furious 9. Uh, this is me as an aside. The Fast and the Furious films, everybody knows what a franchise that is. And I think that one we could see, um, that will probably be the best box office results released uh, since the pandemic. Okay, going on. And that leads into a second half of the year that is loaded with blockbusters, including Jungle Cruise, Venom, Eternals, Hotel Transylvania 4, Space Jam, that's the one with LeBron James, my comment, uh, Free Guy, Boss Baby, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, James Bond and No Time to Die, Suicide Squad 2, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, Dune, Spider-Man, No Way Home, and Kanto and the highly anticipated Top Gun Maverick. Um, on the final one, this is, again, my comments. Um, the IMAX CEO, Rich Galfond, actually mentioned that um, he thinks that will be the first movie that comps uh, to 2019 and post-2019 like numbers. And that's just this year. And we know that stocks traded on the discounted cash flows of uh, all future years going to that terminal value. Um, but let's just look at 2022 briefly, um, because Mark also commented on this. So again, from the first quarter earnings call, he says, in 2022, uh, we're sacked of mega movies from the giant franchise titles, including Avatar, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Aquaman, Jurassic World, Mission Impossible, Thor, Minions, Doctor Strange, John Wick, and Indiana Jones, as well as a remake of The Batman. I think that's the one with the uh, Twilight guy. And spinoffs such as Lightyear and Black Adam. And this is to name just a few of these 2022 titles. So the the next uh, year or so of movies, I I know I'm going to be in the theaters. I'm super excited to see some of these. And you know, part of the reason that movie theaters haven't done well isn't just because theaters are closed. It's also because nothing has really been released people have been excited about. I think other than Godzilla vs. Kong, um, Wonder Woman 1984, and Mortal Kombat, I guess you can count Crudes too as well. Um, it, it's just been a really weak slate for theaters, and, and this is because um, right now studios are afraid to release anything. That's changing, obviously. Vaccination rates um, are way ahead of where people probably thought they would be a year ago. Consumers are ready to return to the theaters. They have returned to the theaters when movies have been out that they want to see. Um, so, you know, my, my prediction is I think the next year you're going to see a couple films um, that do 2019-like numbers. And I think by the time we get into 22 or 23, um, theaters are going to be chugging along quite nicely. Um, and at this point, I, I think you know, we'll get into that late in the tournament stage where people take notice. In future quarters, people go, wow, these names present excellent value. Um, it's time to, to make a bet um, because I'm looking for the next growth story. Um, and money starts to come in. And if you're positioned there right now, uh, you end up benefiting if you're in the movie names early in the tournament, um, which I am. Could be totally wrong here uh, to play the pre-mortem game, which uh, is an Annie Duke concept. Um, so again, uh, professional poker champion. Um, she came up with this in her book, but I think it's a good mental model. A pre-mortem is, you know, what would you say before things went really badly, if things did go really badly? Uh, what would represent uh, a scenario where, you know, you could lose everything? So if this thesis doesn't work out, I think it's because um, I'm missing something on... Uh, the strength of premium video on demand or uh, consumer appetite for going back to the theaters. Perhaps I'm missing something on um, what studios are looking at uh, in terms of 
do they want to have titles in the theaters? Uh, as an aside, Cinemark signed deals with all of the five of the major studios. We don't know the terms of that deal. They were kind of dodgy when analysts asked about it. But we do know um, they, you know, some of them extend multiple years out to the future. Um, you know, the, these deals were uncertain. It was uncertain that they would even you know, make deals with the studios during the height of the pandemic. So I think it represents pretty good progress. One final thing I want to call out before we wrap up this podcast. So I'm usually of the opinion that the debt market is pretty smart and sometimes runs ahead of the equity markets. So one interesting detail from the Cinemark call was they note, in March, we issued $405 million of new senior notes due 2026, so again, five years into the future, that were exceedingly well-received. Strong investor demand enabled us to secure a coupon of 5.875%, which was the lowest rate achieved by any high-yield entertainment company since the inception of the pandemic. That's absurdly low. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I think a really highly rated, um, you know, triple B single A company could have issued debt at this rate. Um, it's amazing that lenders are now that confident in theaters. Obviously, rates are low, um, so I'm not ignoring that interest rates are zero. So you have to you have to benchmark it to that. But you know, the lenders are now confident in Cinemark. Confidence is returning to the theater space. Capital is headed there. Skate where the puck is going. Um, I remain extremely confident in the movie theater names. National Cinemedia reports next week, so I'll, I'll present an update on that um, once the earnings are out. But that's where I think the puck is going. Um, I think I want to be there early in the tournament, so later in the tournament, chips are coming my way. Really excited about movie theaters, and you know, shoot me any questions or comments you may have on this thesis. I'm super excited. So that wraps it up for this episode of Stock Talking. of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.